Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you ask people about Prince, they usually bring up Purple Rain, his height, his clothes, or his effect on women and sexuality. But he was so much more than what we saw or what we thought we saw. Prince may not have spoken very often in public about his views on the world, but his music has always possessed a depth that revealed his views on politics, religion, and current events. I recognized his political commentary in the 1980s with songs like Ronnie Talked to Russia about the Cold War and Sign of the Times, which highlighted the AIDS and drug addiction crises. And France, skinny man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance, his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. In 1985, Prince turned down the invitation to sing on the Live Aid charity single, We Are the World, benefiting famine relief in Africa. Allegedly, he didn't like the song, and he would not be allowed to record separately by himself either. Instead, he contributed his own song to the We Are the World album, a mid-tempo yet mournful call to worship called For the Tears in Your Eyes. He also released a song called Hello to raise awareness about the mid-1980s starvation crisis in parts of Africa. Hello is a synthesizer-heavy dance track that also calls attention to American youth falling through the social safety net. The lyrics go, We're against hungry children. Our record stands tall. But there's just as much hunger here at home. We'll do what we can. But it wasn't until the 1991 single, Money Don't Matter Tonight, that I fully processed his dedication to both shining a light on the world's ugliness and to doing his part to lift people out of it. Throughout Money Don't Matter Tonight, Prince sings in his lower register, emphasizing the seriousness he hopes to convey. There's no erotic falsetto to distract us from the lyrics as he sings the chorus, Money Don't Matter Tonight, It Sure Didn't Matter Yesterday. Just when you think you've got more than enough, that's when it all up and flies away. That's when you find out that you're better off making sure your soul's all right. And as much as Prince wanted to show what was going on in the world, he also wanted to offer hope. So he used his lyrics to remind us to focus on what he felt was more important than material greed having a good soul. Just as he liked to mix sensuality and spirituality, he also mixed the political and the spiritual. The song Money Don't Matter Tonight came out when I was 14 years old, and it spoke to me because my own family didn't have a lot, but I didn't realize that until other people pointed it out. By the time it came out, my parents had divorced, and my mother was raising us three kids by herself. 
We always had the things we needed, and there was always laughter at home. Our cabinets may not have had name-brand cereal, and my clothes weren't covered in high-fashion logos, but we were good to each other and others around us. The song reinforced for me the idea that there is more than one way to be wealthy, which was an important lesson to remember as I headed into high school, a time when status becomes a crucial tool for success. Prince did what he could to shine a light on the ugliness of the world. But what about his own shadows? Misuse of power doesn't begin and end with world politicians. Sometimes, even a Midwestern musician draped in purple can take advantage of his position. Prince was a musical genius, but he wasn't perfect. When looking at the light he brought to issues in the world, we also need to look at his shadow side. For all the women he championed in the industry, as songwriters and musicians, his personal relationships were seemingly fraught with antiquated ideas like how women should look. Prince was a human being, and in order to really understand him, we have to go beyond the guitar licks, heels, and eyeliner to get a fuller picture of who he was. This is The Prince Mixtape, and I'm your host, Nicole Perkins. And in this episode, we're going beyond the lace. sounding too uh, rambunctious. I didn't learn much in school that I can use now. Uh, Numbers, and that's it. In July 1997, Prince gave a press conference in New York City. He was there to promote his album Emancipation and its subsequent North American tour. But at the very end, a reporter asked him to confirm reports that he was planning to start his own school. The school that you're developing mm-hmm. is that in Minneapolis? Um, we're just working on the um, uh, criteria now. And uh, hopefully um, it'll open in Minneapolis. We've purchased some land. Uh, so uh, that's the plan. Then the reporter followed up. Why did he want to open the school, she asked. First time uh, I was introduced to black history, I saw... Black people hung on a tree. And that was the first picture I saw. And that's the way it was brought to us in our school. And I think that's wrong. I mean, when we discuss history in our um, curriculum, we think that it should start at the beginning of time. I think history should start there, because if you start there, then I think people would see that there's something uh, that's uh, the same in all of us. And that's what's cool about this country is that there's so many different types of people. Although that school never came to fruition, it showed that Prince wanted to do more than just sing about issues affecting Black people in the world. He also wanted to take action where he could. Prince had a soft spot for education. He donated to several schools and educational programs over the years. In 1993, he gave to the Harvest Network of Schools, 
which now serves 700 charter school students in Minneapolis who are mostly disadvantaged and Black. He also gave to the Minneapolis organization The Bridge for Youth, which helps unhoused youth. And naturally, Prince also supported music and arts programs across the country. Prince was an activist, but I think differently than how people might think about activism. Alicia Garza is a longtime community organizer from the San Francisco Bay Area. She's also one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. He also was a strategist. And what I appreciated about him, I mean, obviously, he really cared about Black people and he cared about Black communities. And he never did that thing that was like, we're responsible for our own conditions, you know? And I really also appreciated that about his activism. I've seen Prince in concert three times, but I'm not sure I was ever as lucky as Alicia. A friend gifted her tickets to one of his final shows at the Paramount Theater in Oakland, California in February 2016. They were front row seats, center stage. Wow. <laughs> I know. I know. What your eyes just did <laughs> is what my eyes did as I was like walking up to the seat. I didn't know. He didn't tell me, oh, we're in the front row. Listener, when Alicia said front row seats, my eyes got as big as Prince's teenage afro. I also remember the last number he did, and he was having everybody sing, free yourself, we've got to free ourselves. And I will never forget it. It was so powerful. There was, you know, thousands of people all at the same time saying the same thing, singing, And he was singing and he was smiling and his hair was glistening because, you know, he had that sheen. Free Yourself is the last song that Prince himself released to the public before he died. It's sly and playful, reminiscent of his Around the World in a Day era, with his live staccato stylings on the piano demanding we dance to this call for freedom. And I remember that was in my head for like probably a week or two afterwards. You know, like a jingle I couldn't get out of my head. Before Alicia was in that front row in Oakland singing Free Yourself, she had another close brush with Prince. I got a phone call one day, and I actually remember the day it was. We had gathered a bunch of BLM activists from chapters across the country to have an off-the-record conversation with then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. The same afternoon, I remember I was in my office, I hung up that phone call, and I was just kind of sitting there staring off into space because it had been a very long day. And my friend Phaedra called. That's Phaedra Ellis Lampkins, a former union organizer who became Prince's manager in 2013. With her help, Prince was able to secure ownership of his catalog after years of fighting his record label. But that day, Ellis Lampkins had big news for Black Lives Matter organizers. There's somebody that I work with that wants to donate resources to the movement, and so I need to get some information about how they can do that. Now, at the time, we literally had, like, no systems, no mechanisms. Like, we just didn't have it. This might have been the first donation that we got from a celebrity. 
So I was trying to run through with her our, you know, janky systems that we didn't have. I was like, well, it's kind of complicated. I mean, we're working on getting a fiscal sponsor, so let me connect you with this person, etc. And then I remember saying, can you share who it is? And she said, I will, but it's not for sharing. And he actually doesn't want to be credited. He doesn't want it to be known. And I said, okay, that's not a problem. And she said, it's Prince. And I I know for a fact, there was a high-pitched sound that came from my soul, you know? And I think I even, like, dropped to my knees. I was like, you can't be serious. She was like, oh, yeah, 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 it's Prince. And she was like, wow, you're a fan? I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not a fan. I'm obsessed. I love that man, and I have loved him since I was four years old. I completely relate to loving Prince before you even knew how to hold a pencil well. Prince never publicly called himself an activist, but his support of Black Lives Matter shows how, behind the scenes, he did engage with multiple social justice causes and charities. For example, public tax filings from 2005 to 2007 show Prince's Love for One Another Foundation gave away $1.5 million to charity. Prince, I think, had a really clear sense of what his values were, what he cared about. And he was very diligent about using his relationships and connections to find out who was doing the best work on a thing. And then he wanted to resource that, right, so that that work could continue. That's something I really admired about him. I mean, you get messages from him 3 o'clock in the morning, oh, he found something on the Internet. That's CNN contributor Van Jones back in February 2017. He's reflecting on his close friendship with Prince. What are we doing about this? What are we doing about this? <laughs> I think that we means me. You know, what am I doing about this? And he didn't, we wouldn't take no for an answer. He wouldn't take, oh, well, we're looking to... What are we doing about this? This is wrong. What's going to happen? Prince would often call on Van to help him figure out which causes to support and help him deliver that support anonymously. Here's Van paying tribute to Prince on CNN in the days immediately following news of Prince's death. When the Black Lives Matter came out, you know, he understood those kids. Because when he was a kid, he was a rebel as a musician. And his big prayer was, he said, I hope those kids can become an economic force. Let them take that creativity, create jobs, create businesses, create apps, create, use that energy for creativity. But he loved Alicia Garza from Black Lives Matter. This is a man who knew what was going on in the world, who was an influential musician, but behind the scenes, he was influential socially as humanitarian as well. To paraphrase a famous quote from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, whenever there is a catastrophe, look for the helpers. I don't know if Prince ever watched Mr. Rogers, but he seemed to follow that advice. Prince would look for the people providing assistance to counter the injustices of the world and help them continue to do that much-needed work. Van Jones connects Prince's philanthropy to his personal life. Here is Van on CNN in 2017. You know, part of it was he himself had had his ups and downs in public life, but he really appreciated people who, in his mind, were trying to help. Because that was Prince. Prince was constantly figuring out how to be helpful. His religion and just his personality prevented him from getting out there, hey, look at me, look at me, I'm giving this, I'm doing that. I want to be at the ribbon cutting, you know, put my name on the building. He just wasn't that kind of guy. He was very, very private. Prince was notoriously private, it's true. But I think he was also adhering to his faith. 
There's a scripture in the Bible that advises followers not to brag about their charity work. It reads, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It appears Prince took that verse to heart. Instead of announcing his donations, he only talked to people who were absolutely necessary to make his charity work possible. I got into this with DJ and scholar Lene Denise. Why I love this man so deeply in that activist work and how it then showed up in his philanthropy and his, you know, like how he would send these sort of secret donations to music schools is that he also taught us something about a politically charged subject that is under-discussed, and that is the subject of Black privacy. We all have a right to privacy. We shouldn't have to put our every thought or deed out for the world to see, despite what social media tells us. The lasting legacies of slavery and colonialism, where Black people were put on display at auction blocks and in human zoos, fuels the notion of Black privacy. For too long, we had no say in public use of our bodies, but we could hold on to our innermost thoughts. However, when you don't make your thoughts known, people will project their thoughts onto you and sometimes assign things to you you don't believe. Prince used the 2015 Grammy Awards ceremony to clear up any doubts about where he stood when it came to Black lives. One of the things I remember is seeing him at the Grammy Awards and he came out and he said, books like Black Lives Matter. What he said is albums. Oh, albums. Like books and Black Lives Matter. I said, you better say it. Albums. Remember those? <laughs> albums. Still matter. Like books and Black Lives, albums still matter. Tonight and always. These are the nominees for Album of the Year. And there were a lot of young people who were just like, oh, when did Prince get political? And it's like, no, he's always been political. Always. That was a major moment. That Grammy Awards show was in February 2015. Two months later, in April, a Black man named Freddie Gray died as a result of suspicious injuries that occurred while he was in police custody. The circumstances of Freddie Gray's death would inspire Prince to make one of the most overt political statements of his career. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. In May 2015, Prince hosted what he called a Rally for Peace, dedicated to Freddie Gray. He instructed everyone to wear the color gray in remembrance and allowed the music app title to stream the concert for free. Prince is getting involved in the situation in Baltimore, throwing a special benefit concert tonight. He's doing it after the death of Freddie Gray in police custody, and the goal is to raise money for different community programs and children in Baltimore. The singer released a song titled Baltimore. Listen. Baltimore. 
It would have been impossible for Prince to ignore the rising tensions between Black people and police in America. They say music soothes the savage beast. Maybe Prince hoped he could help calm the savagery of police brutality with his song, Baltimore. Part of the chorus goes, are we gonna see another bloody day? We're tired of crying and people dying. Let's all take the guns away. Absence of war, you and me. Maybe we can finally say, enough is enough, it's time for love. And that was a really big deal for him to have performed the song in Baltimore. People really loved that. Baltimore gets such a bad rap. Kat Okadei is a professor and Prince fan. She was there that night at the concert slash peace rally in Baltimore. So him shouting out Baltimore, people loved it. Like people were screaming and shouting and it was just, it just felt good. There were thousands of people there, completely packed. Um, and he certainly did have a message, too. It wasn't just about all of his music and all of his hits that he played. There was so much happening in that moment. I've always wanted to know, what was it about the Freddie Gray piece that, for you, really did it? Because you felt like there was something about that specific case that lit something in him, that brought him to the space of writing the song and then really coming out to Baltimore to, like, show his support. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge thing was trying to bring a message of peace, a rally for peace is what he called it. Um, he made a song that was particularly for Baltimore. He mentioned uh, Michael Brown in his song. He mentioned Freddie Gray uh, in his song as well uh, and said that it was for the young people to try and go forward and fix these problems, that it was their time to sort these things out uh, and that he supported them in that. At the time, Marilyn Mosby, the state's attorney for Baltimore, was in the midst of trying a criminal case against the members of the Baltimore Police Department accused of Freddie Gray's death. Mosby was also a huge Prince fan. Her husband had surprised her with tickets to the concert as a Mother's Day present. She also got a surprise from Prince himself. According to CNN reporting, he invited her on stage during the concert. Here's how Kat remembers that moment. I remember there was like this quiet, like everybody kind of took a minute to understand like, yeah, we're here to have fun and all this other stuff, but a man is dead at the hands of people who were supposed to protect us. And in that moment, he knew the moment wasn't about him. So there was definitely a sense of service in the way that I feel Prince was sort of commanding things in that moment of introducing her and singing the song. There was like a certain amount of reverence to it. Like it felt like church. It really did. There's some criticism that the state's attorney general appeared on stage with Prince last night. What was the audience's reaction to that? She came out, uh, her and her husband, she waved to the crowd, and it was literally maybe 10 seconds, and then she walked back. There was no speech from her, no um, political anything. It was Prince saying, here she is, she walks up, and, and she was gone. Didn't even announce her name, if I recall correctly. Bringing Mosby up on stage reflects a real shift in Prince's willingness to speak more publicly about the causes that matter to him. You know, it's interesting because I think of Prince and I think of someone who doesn't exactly get in the headlines or do a lot of interviews or put himself out there a lot. He's a very private guy. Well, exactly. And that's why I was kind of surprised to hear about this concert. Anthony DeCurtis is one of the few journalists who has interviewed Prince on multiple occasions. He spoke to CNN about the concert back in 2015. I mean, it suggested, I think, the depth of his feelings about this. 
and the degree I think of national feeling about it. I mean, this isn't somebody who's jumping on every cause or, you know, looking for ways to uh, comment on you know political or social events. I mean, in fact, he's he's been very reluctant to do that. But I think in this case, so, you know, he's obviously stepping up. Well, look, What Prince did in Baltimore represents one of his most passionate public displays of his political beliefs. No longer content to let his music alone speak for him, he needed to take to the stage. As we think about the ways Prince often inserted socio-political commentary into his music, here's a question to consider. Was Prince a feminist? The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. In an episode about Prince's political work, I'd be remiss if I didn't take a hard look at the history of his relationships with women, both professional and personal. He definitely valued and supported women in music, from hiring Susan Rogers as his engineer, to showcasing the vocals of Rosie Gaines, to writing music for and with Shaka Khan, Patti LaBelle, Madonna, Stevie Nicks, and the list goes on. Here's DJ and scholar Lene Denise again. Women have played major roles in the development of his music, from Rosie Gaines to Sheila E. to Wendy and Lisa and to Vanity and to his engineer and to the women DJs, you know, Pam the Functress and DJ Rashida, who rode with him and opened for him in different places, like, that he actually, I felt like, respected, without sounding super essentialist, a woman's ear. Whoever identifies as woman, I feel like he respected this particular ear. Alicia Garza picks up that train of thought. He both was such a advocate for and a practitioner of really giving women platforms and stages, really extending the power and the position that he had to women and, and women artists who I think, you know, already have a hard time breaking through in different ways and face much different challenges in the music industry. We saw Prince share the stage with women. We know he worked with women in the studio. But what we see is not always as straightforward as we may think. Obviously, I'm a major Prince fan, but I think part of being a fan, part of being a good fan, means I have to be willing to acknowledge the genius and the humanity of the man I've loved since I was six years old. Something else that I think is just not super comfortable to talk about, but is there, is he had really complicated relationships with women. And we are having many more conversations now than we ever have in my lifetime about what relationships are appropriate and when and under what conditions and what does consent actually look like. Lene Denise, who teaches classes on Prince, considers him to be a trickster. 
She tries to reconcile his various contradictions, some of which we can see in the loosely autobiographical movie Purple Rain. The film showcases Prince's musical talents, but it also highlights how poorly women were treated in his character's world. I think of Purple Rain and the woman being thrown in the trash can. I think about Wendy and Lisa talking about how he struggled to honor their contributions and was sometimes hide it and, and not give folks credit, women in particular ways. When I use the word trickster, I'm using it intentionally to think about the shadow and the light. I like that you call him a trickster because I think that he brings out people's truths in ways that made them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Prince often surrounded himself with pretty women. That wasn't a secret. But the fact that those pretty women were typically white and light-skinned women of color, that doesn't get discussed very seriously. And speaking of shadow and light, Prince and colorism. And when I think about Prince and his elevation of the racially ambiguous looking woman, I think that, yeah, that's a person who has skewed ideas about standards of beauty. And yeah, that he is someone who is a human being who did not escape the indoctrination into the system of patriarchy. But not only did he not escape it, he benefited from it. When I finally got to an age where my fangirl feelings for Prince turned into curiosity about his abilities away from the microphone, shall we say, I remember being very disappointed that I would never be his type based on the women he was linked with romantically. Almost all the women of color that Prince dated were of mixed race and had racially ambiguous light skin, one exception being Nona Gay, Marvin Gaye's daughter. I am very brown, and all my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents are Black. I made my disappointment in him a self-centered thing, but it was also discouraging to see Prince, a man who liked to turn tradition upside down, subscribe to such exclusionary and traditional standards of beauty for women. He had so much creativity, except when it came to who he dated and who he featured in his music videos. I just think of him as this person who walked with probably just as much shadow as he walked with light. That I mean, I get asshole vibes from Prince a lot of the times. And he got away with a lot, I must say. Yes, <laughs> he did. It's strange because I learned a lot about my sexuality as a straight woman from this little slip of a man who could write songs from a woman's point of view, or at least in his feminine alter ego. One of these songs affected me so much that when I was ready to write my memoir, I knew the title would come from it. I named the book, Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be, which is a lyric from If I Was Your Girlfriend. And that song is one of the greatest love songs of all time. It resonates with me. Not only is this man willing to change his whole world to stay in this woman's life, but Prince recognized that one of the greatest loves a woman can have is with her best friend. When I think about the political nature of the homoerotic lyrical dance that he does in If I Was Your Girlfriend, the way that he 
<laughs> makes it clear that women fall in love all the time, whether they are having sex or not, that women's relationships transcend and exceed that of the heterosexual one. It, it, it transcends what heterosexual relationships can offer. Obviously, that's arguable. But what's interesting there is like, can I help you pick out your clothes before we go out? Not that you're helpless. I'm just saying those are the things that being in love is about, right? If I was your only friend, would you run to me if somebody hurt you, even if that somebody was me? The overt ways Prince seemed to be in touch with his feminine side unnerved a lot of people. And it may have been why he was so successful at writing steamy love songs. Yet while Prince seemed to deeply understand women and femininity, his relationships with actual women in the world were far more complicated. Prince's protégés were often women he'd become romantically involved with, like Carmen Electra. Only the people in the relationships know the truth of it, but did Prince take advantage of his power as mentor? There was clearly a gap in power dynamic at play. A young woman wants to make it in music, and Prince can help open doors for her. But then suddenly, they're papped holding hands and out on dates. The thought is uncomfortable, especially when we dig past the surface of his first marriage to Maite Garcia. They met when she was 16 years old and Prince was 31. Her mother wanted her to become one of his dancers. When Maite turned 18, Prince hired her as a dancer, and they had remained in touch during those two years, with Prince sending her letters and music. According to Maite in her memoir, The Most Beautiful, My Life with Prince, he rented her an apartment near him when she turned 18. She also claims that a year after that, when she was 19, Prince said it was time for her to get on birth control. And that's when their sexual relationship began. Maite assures readers she was fully self-aware and not a victim of anything inappropriate. But from the outside looking in, Prince's role in their relationship could seem predatory. The song Curious Child from the 1996 Emancipation album hints at their relationship. The lyrics are tender and defensive, and it sounds a bit like a lullaby. Careless I was to caress thee, yet never regretting the time. The joy that we shared was meant to be, and not a crime. No, it's not a crime. Curious Child is not a song the average Prince fan would know, and it shows a side of him that makes me very uncomfortable. He's defending the right to be with someone who was still a teenager when he was in his 30s. It's not very feminist to take advantage of age and power dynamics, so I'm not sure we can attach that label to Prince. It's hard to reconcile the idea that the Prince who disrupted gender binaries and musical genre expectations could also be such a man about certain things. Even the hit Little Red Corvette is actually quite slut-shaming when you dig into the lyrics. I guess I should have closed my eyes when you drove me to the place where your horses run free. He's warning the subject of the song that her promiscuity will ruin her, then declares he's going to tame her. And we just groove along because it's a hot song. But it's also another example of how complex Prince was as a human being and as an artist.
we are all filled with light and shadows, and Prince was no exception. He often used his music to bring light to the world's injustices. Maybe it was also a way for Prince to shorten the shadows in his own life. As I mentioned in our first episode, Prince was born and raised during a time of constant sociopolitical upheaval in America. Coming of age during the civil rights movement affected his work from the creative to the business side. He has almost always found a way to mention social issues in his music. He wasn't an activist in the strictest sense of the word, and he wasn't perfect. I have had to acknowledge that he subscribed to some restrictive ideas about women in his romantic relationships. Being a fan of Prince's music, or of any artist really, means learning to accept their imperfections just as much as their genius. Sometimes artists make mistakes and commit behavior too awful to overlook, though. And that's a personal choice we all must make. But with Prince, I made the decision to love him Flaws and all. Next week on the Prince Mixtape, a group of superfans comes together to share stories of how Prince played a part in their sexual awakenings and what it means to call yourself a Prince fan. The Prince Mixtape is produced by CNN Audio and Pineapple Street Studios. It's hosted by me, Nicole Perkins. Our producers are Emmanuel Hapsis, Beandria July, and Natalie Brennan. Our managing producer is Aaron Kelly. Our editor is Darby Maloney. Mix and original music by Hannes Brown. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. And our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks. At CNN, our senior producer is Felicia Patinkin, and our executive producer is Abby Fintress Swanson. Nicole Pesaru and Jameis Andres designed our artwork. Executive producers for Pineapple Street Studios are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Special thanks to Noah Camuso, Hannah Park, Katie Hinman, Tamika Balance-Kalazny, Sonia Tun, Chip Grabo, Anissa Gray, Frank Lomonti, Steph Garrett, Graham Duda, Andrea White, Lindsay Abrams, Robert Mathers, Lisa Namaro, Kira Posey, Jane Drinker, Liz Boyd, John Dianora, and Dina Kleiner. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.